Welcome on. Thank you for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast, the podcast focusing on all things pro soccer in the DMV and across the U.S. My name is Jose Omaña, sports writer for the Sports Pulse, and joining me as always is our co-host Mario Maya from Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing a all right, and I just realized that I made Santa's naughty list for saying that Barcelona was a world-class team at times. I thought you were always there, but in any event, <laughs> before, before we preview the MLS Cup this weekend, we have to talk about what just ended less than an hour ago, and it's amazingly less than an hour ago, and that would be the U.S. men's national team who took on El Salvador, a mostly MLS-based U.S. national team defeated the Central American side 6-0, a dominating performance by the U.S. men's national team in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I mean, there's not much left to say, but the key points that we can hear locally for us in the DMV, Paul Riola, D.C. United midfielder, gets his first cap back from his ACL tear, scoring in the 17th minute to basically end his 2020 on a positive note. Bill Hamid played in goal all 90 minutes. <laughs> that's in that's in air quotes. He really, really didn't see much. <laughs> yeah, he was only threatened once uh, around the 59th minute. But otherwise, it was a dominating performance overall. Mario, what did you see overall in the performance? And how great is it to see Paul Ariola get back on the score sheet? Uh, first off, we're talking about practice here, right? I'm kidding, ah. by the way. <laughs> we'll get into those particulars in a second. <laughs> uh, it was nice to see Paul Ariola back, not only playing for the men's national team. It was nice to see him back in the starting lineup for Craig Berhalter. Shows that he's still he's still one of Craig Berhalter's uh, most utilized players on the national team. And it was nice to fought, to see him and his 2020, which started off really bad by tearing his ACL in the, in the preseason with a goal. So I, I was really happy about that. I think dominating performance by the USMT altogether against El Salvador is an understatement. It was, yeah, it was what it was. It was, it was complete, utter domination. They said victory was theirs, and by God, did they have victory by the end of the 30th minute. It was, it was dominating. This was El Salvador's, I believe, second game of the year. So there wasn't much cohesion, and it showed. And all in all, the USMT, mostly MLS-based players, and Bill Hamid reading a newspaper, pretty much, pretty much uh, did what they had to do and got the result, got the desired result. Yeah, I mean, just to give more background on Salvador, the opponent. So several players were denied last-minute visas. Uh, the Federation did not double-check the, uh, the player statuses on their visas. Several of them had theirs expired. One of the goalkeepers that was scheduled to come was on the uh, had a expired visa, and then the third goalkeeper wasn't able to be COVID tested. Uh, on time, so he wasn't allowed to come. Meaning, Osada only had one goalkeeper for the entire match. Uh, several starters for the Salvadoran national team did not make the trip or, in this case, were rotated in and out for younger players, which, you know, one would understand that um, for a friendly. I'm not saying that that was a positive or a negative. I'm saying, saying is the attitude from what the Federation was trying to display prior to this match and saying this is a wonderful opportunity for our young players. And then the head coach 
saying I don't care about the result is a mixed message and really showed on the field uh, what kind of opponent the U.S. was playing. But guess what? This is CONCACAF. I've been saying this for years that I think the United States needs to continue playing CONCACAF opponents in and out of qualifying. And this is what they need to do in and out of qualifying against certain CONCACAF opponents, and that is dominate. And Craper Halter said at halftime during the Univision broadcast that the the important thing was that they were able to pressure early. You know, Pariola's attempt come uh, a goal came from you know Chris Miller coming off the left side of the midfield, pressuring the Salvadorian defense, playing a high, playing a five man back line, but at the same time, weirdly enough, trying to play a high line against Chris Miller. Pariola and Ako in Ako Akinola, probably three of the fastest players in Major League Soccer. That is an insane proposition. Uh, as you saw, it did not work. Five oh, goals, five goals in seventeen minutes says it all. I mean, it's just it was an insane proposition to go with um, more on the paw front. We had heard yes. him in the... Brandon Aronson was also on the field, one of the other fastest players in MLS. Right. But, you know, just, just to stay on the paw front real quick, you know, it was good to see him out there. He had mentioned that he was going to talk to the training staff and see what was the best outlet for him because he did not feel that, you know, after ramping up and trying to get back on the field as soon as he could from the injury, that he should be sitting on the bench and sitting on the sideline. And I thought that this was the perfect opportunity to see him on in action. He played over 50 minutes, and he looked really well. There were moments where you could see that he wasn't getting the ball, but that was just mainly because the U.S. was so don, dominant on Chris Muller's side that <laughs> why not keep attacking the same place to score more? So uh, Paul overall, though, played really well. I mean, the one shot Bill Hamid had, I mean, he didn't he didn't struggle with it. I mean, he just caught – he didn't even catch it. He kind of let it hit it off his chest and then stay near him so he can grab it. So other – I mean, outside of that, I think it was great to see Paul back. He It's just 17 cap under – Burhalter, which he is the highest cap player with Burhalter, so that's a positive. Knowing that you know DC United has a guy that is being trusted with the national team, even after injury, so it does seem like Paul will still be in the picture heading into qualifying next year. Absolutely, and I think that's a good thing. It's a good. It's a good thing not only for for him. It helps him boost his confidence a little more going forward. Uh, I think he also played really well. He was able to, whenever he had the ball, he was able to dominate the de- the, the Salvadorian defense, which isn't saying much on the gra- in the grand scheme of things. But they were able to, he was able to exploit uh, whatever deficiencies they had defensively. But I think uh, the star of the show, other than Paul Ariola, was Chris Muller. He picked up his first, I want to say, his first two goals in a USMT jersey. He had a really dominating performance. He set up another goal for A.U. Akinola. Uh, all, all in all, I, I think if you're Greg Berhalter, not only did you sh- ha- did you see that your European-based players in the last FIFA date were able to somewhat rise to the occasion in these friendlies, you also have options in MLS. 
And I think that's kind of a good thing going forward for the USMT because these are the kinds of dilemmas you want to have going into qualifying. Who's best set up to put to play for the national team going in and who's coming in with momentum? I know some people are going to say Jazzy Zardis should have been called up, but Jazzy Zardis is preoccupied currently with an MLS Cup. But uh, we, I think we saw that well, get, given what the uh, what the player pool looks like a lot with with the European based players last month and with the players tonight that are mostly based in MLS, you you have a nice little dilemma going on. I think if you're Craig Berhalter, you 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 got you got some interesting decisions to make going forward. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the best national teams have enough players in the player pool where they can make two national teams. I've always thought that. I think that's a misnomer that said in the Latin community about, you know, our national teams like Argentina and Brazil, um, how you can suit multiple different national team teams with different types of players, different types of styles from either just the Argentinian league or in, or the abroad based players, you know, and I think that going forward, the U.S. national team needs to act that way. They have young players playing in the Champions League and playing in the higher levels in the European leagues. Yes, but they also have enough good talent that can compete in Major League Soccer and Liga Mekis and all these other leagues that they don't have to be fully European. I give They have a diverse set of players now. And I this is the contrast. And maybe Craig Perhalter designed it or this is just – one of those things because of the pandemic, but it's good to see that he's utilizing the whole player role. Like too many times with under Jurgen Klinsman, we saw that Jurgen took so much priority in these friendlies that you only knew 30 guys. And it was insane because you can't just rely on 30 guys. We see what's going on in Germany where they let go of all their veterans and it's only youth, but it's the youth, U23 guys and a couple of surprisers and one or two veterans. Like, people are going to find out what you're doing, and you don't have a diverse set of skills and talent to counteract that. I think, you know, you mentioned Diaz's artist. You know, we still don't know what Josie Altador is going to do. It sounds like he wants to stay and play with the national team. He's going to be a factor in all this. And, you know, Akinola is just another weapon that. A little, he's like a Josie build, but he has such good technical ability in terms of, you know, trapping balls and setting up the midfielders around him. You know, he was smart enough to know, hey, I'm going to let Ariola take this shot and then body the Salvadorian defender out of the way so Ariola can hit the one timer. <laughs> I mean, that's what you need a guy who can do, you need guys that do a diverse set of skills. And I think. For too long, we've relied on just 20, 30 players, and maybe if someone hits at the right moment, we'll add them on. No, you have now that base of from academies to MLS to Liga Mickey's to Europe. Heck, if you really wanted to expand it further, you, we have guys in Brazil and Argentina and playing in Africa and playing in Asia. Like You have enough talent now compared to years prior that you can rely on to make two national teams. So you don't have to worry about your top 23 getting hurt, or if they do get hurt, you have guys that you can rely on. So overall, this performance just reminds you that, heck, 
just because you see some guys playing in Champions League, that's not our whole roster. There's a multitude of guys that are available for the national team. Right, and with a country that has a population of 331 million people in it, you're definitely more than capable of building more two, uh, more than two national teams. But I'm glad to see the, tri- the trajectory that we're going with it with the national team is let's use other parts of the player pool than just using the same old 20 to 30 names that we called up under Pat under past uh under past leadership uh, under past coaches in particular under Jurgen Klinsmann. So it's nice to see that and you know it's something to really look forward to in the future. Definitely, but there's nothing much else to say about this game other than compliment the guys that played and really, really showed themselves. Um, but there's not much to say. I mean, 6-0, Salvador came half ready, had a COVID positive before kickoff, so they were not prepared. Uh, like you said, second match, you know, you can only learn so much. So hopefully they just take this as a shot of – increasing their depth and going forward we'll see what happens but moving on and also the father face of disappointment in our father's faces i'm gonna keep that private in any event uh um moving on um we do have a slight minor update with the coaching search over with dc united uh just as a recap who wants to be dc united head coach I don't think it's a who. I think it's what do they want because what's going on is that we ended last week's show with Chris Armis set to being the new head coach after multiple reports had seemingly confirmed uh, the former MLS player becoming the coach. With multiple reports confirming this news, the fan base was less than positive and seemingly out of nowhere, we start the week off with MLS's Chris Butler reporting that Chris Armis was no longer in the running. Contract talks had broke off and that Gonzalo Pineda, former Seattle Sounders star and now current assistant, is the front runner. The Athletic and Washington Post for the first time in Twitter history united together to confirm certain <laughs> things. Um, here's what they have said. Quote, Armis is not out the running, but is not out the running completely and has not walked away. However, the club is serious about Pineda, that the interview process has been complicated due to the fact that we mentioned this last week, Seattle is still playing. We'll get to Seattle in a second. Uh, Ezra Hendrickson is no longer a candidate. Uh, both confirmed by, like I said, the athletics follow Maurer and it's even golf, the Washington post and an, an unnamed candidate is still in the running. There are four people in the running. Um, Mario has anyone in the, out of these four potential candidates, you know, what have you, what do you think? And what do you see about the front office essentially not finding their ideal candidate and what they think they want out of that candidate? All right. First off, uh, the athletic and Washington post masterful move in becoming a becoming uh fusioning into one but it has to be said what are you looking for in a candidate in particular dc united's front office is one of those things because it seems like every other day we're getting a report chris armis is when the chris armis reports came out that he was going to take the head coaching job you saw the response it wasn't it wasn't pretty the fan base was not was not happy with it 
And so just having the last day or so, having Gonzalo Pineda come up as the uh, as the front runner is interesting because it just tells me that you don't know what you're looking for in a head coach. What are you got to I think I feel like if you're in the front office and I, I and I'm going just my assumptions, I, I don't know what the front office is looking for in particular, but you got to have certain parameters on what you're looking for in an ideal candidate for the head for the head coaching job. You got to set X, Y and Z. If this candidate has X, Y and Z and you really like what he's bringing to the table, then, you know, you move forward with it. We've been talking about this for the last month. It's it seems like every week we're entering this like weird roller coaster of just names. Again, I feel like we've been at the it's been four different names, four different can but the four same can't say four candidates every week. So yeah, Chris Armis was a decent head coach, but granted, if we're gonna have a uh, a bat uh uh, a, a less than positive side to it. I can't really think of the word right now, so I'm gonna use that. Is that he had that he inherited a Jesse Marsh team in the New York Red Bulls, and once Tyler Adams left for Europe at the end of last season, it's you tried to play that same style, but don't have that same don't have that same approach or those same players that you could use for the for your style to succeed. So I think. One of the, I feel like one of the things DC United really has to look for is try to find what you, what kind of identity you want to play with, or what kind of what what is the playing style that you're going to identify with, and then find the coach that kind of fits that idea that ideology that you want to bring forward. But again, that's just coming more mostly my opinion. It really isn't something that you can think of in the minds of those that are in, that are in charge of the hiring process. So for me, it's you got to have something a little more uniform going forward and let's not go with these wild speculations that is really taking everybody for a loop here. I think Twitter's terrible for this, but I think here's the deal. The reason people are reacting this way is because, you know, golf wrote the story i believe on friday chris armis had the deal mls soccer almost seeming emily everybody was preparing for chris armis to have the job and you know to what you think the front office is looking for i think by looking at the final four candidates it's clear what or the final three and i guess the unknown person but just by the names they've been bandy about it's clear what the front office is looking for they want they're attracted to a younger uh established name they're looking for someone who's been in the league, someone who can work hand-in-hand with Dave Casper, the GM, and someone who can interact with their Latin players because it looks like, to me at least, that out of the four candidates that we know of, and, you know, I'm unknown person here, I, I counsel that out, but of the three we know of, two of them are Hispanic, uh, had, uh, Ezra is bilingual, in several languages. So they all have Spanish-speaking skills. They're both Hispanic in terms of Chris Armas and Pineda. I just think that a lot of times what ends up happening with this club 
for those who don't follow it that often, it's clear. They like to receive public opinion before a decision is made. And you saw it with the stadium uh, design. You saw it with the stadium being made at the location it was made. You saw it with the coaching uh, names that were bandied about. You saw it with Wayne Rooney. And you saw, you know, they do things for public relations sake. And at the same time, they want to study the fan base because unlike previous ownerships, this one is on base, off base, meaning that, you know, they're here, they live here, but they're not here. They don't really keep an eye on what the fan base wants. And so they do do things to this extent, whether it's the bag policy or other things to see what how the fans will react and i think in this case fans are ready to tear this coaching decision apart and it backfired on them i i want to believe that because on it, it it just it just didn't seem right like you mentioned chris armis after he took over this season i mean look at his entire managerial record 33 wins 11 draws 27 losses you're talking to Ben Olsen territory here in terms of win-loss percentage. And then the majority of those losses, the reason of the 27 come from this season before he was let go by the Red Bulls. So I, I kind of side to you at that instant of if you're going to go with Chris Armas, like explain what's the reasoning. Because logically, based on where he was going as a coach, it just doesn't make sense. Now, I do a week mentioned this last week. Beneta and Hendrickson, that was going to be tied up because of MLS Cup. And you see it in the NBA. You see it in the NFL. Deals can be made, but that does hold up the process a little bit. And, I mean, this is the offseason. DC does have time. But I do understand that the front office wants to get this done before Christmas. So I, there's still time. So... Uh, and also, if you're DC United, you do want to keep a wandering eye. You know, we, we talked about Toronto's opening all of a sudden and, you know, what's going on there. You know, there's a lot of coaches out there. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they kept an eye on different coaches just because. But this is their top three, it looks like. And Hendrickson is out, so we're down two. Looks like Chris Armis is in and out so far. And they may be, you know, Pinedas to win. Now, you mentioned it last week about with Schmetzer's situation going on. Does Pineda really want to jump? And maybe that's what's also causing a, a hindrance on making a decision. Maybe he wants to wait till maybe Seattle gives him a good or better deal. And maybe he may want to stay in Seattle or he may be, take the Seattle job. So... There's a lot of things going on. I do think that this was more of the team screaming out information, seeing how the fan base would react. I originally was ready to say that they're being very, very cheap, but it looks like they are trying to make some kind of due diligence and scream out to the fan base, this will be an MLS local hire. I think that's one thing that's clear. I think it's just funny that they're like, all right, we're going to go with Chris Armas as the head coach, uh, as your fe- as kind of your feeler. And just the, I want to just go off the, the fan base reaction. It was hysterical, to say the least. 
I think I saw a couple people write thesis statements on why Chris Armas was not the ideal candidate for a head coach. And I think when we started seeing it, and I, I don't know, this has happened with players, and again, this is coming a little more from me experiencing it as a fan, first and foremost, before working for the club and before covering the club, is they were always going after what I want to say are New York Red Bull retreads. You've seen it a few times before. Sometimes they work out. Sometimes they don't work out. But now that we're going into this whole Gonzalo Pineda is the front runner. I think it's interesting that they're doing this due diligence. So, and in a way, by 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 putting those reports out there, you're kind of listening to your fan base in a little, in some part, by saying like, yeah, we want him to be an MLS head coach, but you got to have you got to find a a candidate that I think your fan base is also happy with. So. All in all, it's kind of interesting how they're going about it. But if the Gonzalo Pineda thing doesn't work out, and if Brian Schmetzer does not does not stay in Seattle, I wouldn't mind if you go after Brian Schmetzer. This is a guy that also inherited a team, weirdly enough, after Shiggy Schmidt was let go in 2016 from Seattle. And but he's made see he's built like somewhat of an identity of their own with Seattle. And that's why he's been successful these last few years as head coach at Seattle. And I think that's something that you need to look forward to is trying to build that build an identity with your team. So if neither Armis or Pineda pan out, why not go after Brian Schmetzer? And I'm also intrigued to see who the unnamed candidate is. I don't know if we'll ever know. You know, I think that that's just the club saying, hey, that's our option of we're keeping an eye on, you know, whether it's person abroad here, person or there, or just, you know, keeping an eye on certain candidates. But at the end of the day, I really do think it's going to be a local hire. You know, all you kind of mentioned it, like, what are they looking for? But based on the candidates we've seen, they want somebody who knows MLS, someone who knows the academy system well, someone who, who can help with the you know, introduction of players into the team that way. They, they've committed to this project we've, we've seen with Ben. And so they want to keep the youth players going at the same time, you know, not have to spend much on a head coach. And so I do think we'll see. We'll see what happens. And I will say this to the fan base. I get it, guys. You've not been experiencing this despite you've been Olsen having years where he should have been fired, arguably. But this is your first coaching search in a decade. This feels weird. I understand that. Um, There's a lot of candidates out there. There's rumors. Ask your Washington football team fans. They will tell you about coaching searches all the time. There's rumors bandied about here or there, but it could be this person, that person. You know, Nats fans, they had this experience a couple years ago. Capitals fans, it's like a four-year, it's like a it's like a president. They only stay four years anyway. So <laughs> you can, so you can. Well, you that can again, uh, if you're the last Caps co- coach got impeached, so yeah. So you can always ask, you, you know, this is something new for DC United fans. And some for the newer fans that are entering, you know, that entered during the Wayne Rooney era. This is something completely new. So. I totally understand if fans are kind of confused or see this and they go, 
what the hell? Why are we getting the guy that basically got fired because they lost? He lost to us, and I can see that. But again, it's not over till there's ink on the paper. So far, there's no name uh, on any paper. So it's something to just keep an eye on. And like I said, the front office wants to get this done before Christmas. So we shall see going forward. Uh, and also, I'm in the front. I'm also in the running to be head coach for DC United. So you know, you may never know. So this is our last podcast. Thank you for joining us uh, this evening. Um, but in any event, <laughs> this is not the end of the podcast, though. Um, <laughs> um, we're gonna cop top it off real quick with a quick chat about what's happening this Saturday, and that is MLS Cup. It will be in Columbus as the Crew will host Seattle Sounders. Seattle, let's start with the Western Conference semi uh, the Western Conference final where the, the Sounders beat Minnesota 3-2 on Monday night in a game that will go down as one of the best conference finals of the ages, um, scoring three unanswered goals in 18 minutes to come back from the dead to enter their fourth MLS Cup in the last five years. It was fun watch, but Mario, you know, what are your thoughts on Seattle essentially creating their own little mini dynasty here? I'm impressed. I was impressed on how how they handled themselves in in that Western Conference final, in particular in the last 18 minutes of the game. But yeah, this shows what good coaching does again. Well, Brian Smetzer has ha- held this team for four years now. They're going into their fourth MLS Cup final in five, in, in the last five seasons. And they, they've shown that they, they can win in any way, shape, or form possible, either with, ju- either with uh, good by being dominant or sometimes just coming back, coming back from an adverse result. And that's what happened on Monday night. But I'm going to give my hats off to Minnesota here. They they played a really great game. It's just unfortunately Seattle is a veteran of these process is a veteran of these processes. And it showed. But I think I think what Seattle's done the last few seasons has been nothing short of amazing. And uh, they they're they're I, I can safely say they are the team of this. They could be the team of this decade going forward. Yeah, Gustav Sevenson's goal in the 93rd minute was just bonkers. Because if you were to watch that game again, 93rd minute, third goal in 18 minutes, it was just all around fun. And it looked to be like it wasn't going to be Seattle's day. Uh, They're at home. They're already down two goals. Uh, St. Clair, just look, he's... Yes, he's a terp through and through, but the man had a great first half stopping things um, to keeping Minnesota in, in with their lead. I'm feeling comfortable at halftime, but Seattle rolled back. And I think when we discussed off the air, I told you there was never a moment watching that game where I said, okay, it's done. Seattle's done. Like, they have been down and out so many times in the past eight or nine years. Um, and and you just feel like, okay, there's a comeback coming. And Rui Diaz has really been a force of nature to that attack. 
since he's come in. Um, and, and Will Bruin, like that tells you everything you have to know. Will Bruin, a few years back, was starting for the Houston Dynamo. He now sits on the bench for the Seattle Sounders. And, but he, when is, you, and he is scoring crucial goals coming off the bench. Exactly. So when you have a guy who used to be a league starter coming off your bench and you just tell him, hey, we need a quick goal. And he can hit that for you to start essentially your comeback. That tells you everything you need to know about uh, what Seattle is. They, you know, I remember Alexi Lalas calling them the second, the league's second super club. They don't spend as much as they used to, but they do treat themselves as one of those clubs, those echelon clubs. And I'm not going to be sorry when I say this. I hope for all you Seattle Sounder haters, I really do hope that the Seattle Sounders win this MLS Cup. We'll talk about Columbus in a second. But I hope to goodness. I understand their fans could be annoying as heck, but they've been mighty quiet this whole freaking year. And now that they're going to MLS Cup final, they're all coming out. That don't mean you get the hate. That don't because guess what? Just because DC United's been sorry doesn't mean you get to be all mad about Seattle fans getting to finally celebrate when they've been quiet all season. No, just because you're the fan of a sorry team doesn't mean you go out here and ruin someone's parade. I ain't about that. No, no, no. So I am happy to say that my pick already, we haven't even gotten to Columbus, and so we'll get to them in a second. I am happy to say Seattle's my pick. They will beat the crew, and, and I'm sorry because it's going to be a wonderful end to that beautiful stadium. But they will beat the crew and take home another MLS Cup trophy. Hey, man, when you have the pride and joy of the Via Maria del Triunfo neighborhood from Lima, Peru, I'm talking about Raul Ruiz Diaz, of course, <laughs> scoring goals late in the game, there, there is no stopping them. And uh, I think I'll go off a limb here. Uh, I'm also picking Seattle to win the MLS Cup for the simple <laughs> reason they've been here the last four seasons. This team knows what it takes to win. They have two of them. They have two of those bad boys. They've got the dynamic trio of unstoppability on their offense. They have Nicolas Lodero, a guy that has played a couple World Cups and know with Uruguay and that can absolute and is an absolute maestro in the midfield. You have Jordan Morris on your attack. This guy can absolutely bulldoze you. And also, Jermaine Jones, I need you to pen an apology to this man for going to Seattle instead of going to Europe. And then just Raul Ruiz Diaz. I, I think he is one of the most underrated forwards in MLS ever to come into MLS. Um, he has been a he's been he's been a hit with Seattle ever since he came here in 2018. And so, for those people that are saying yeah, but I want Seattle to lose because I don't like their fan base. That's a pretty dumb reason to do it. And if you're a Portland fan, if you're a Portland fan, I'm sorry. Maybe Jorge Villafaña should have made the penalty kick against Dallas, and we'd probably be talking about you. But right now, we're talking about the Seattle Sounders and how well they played in the Western Conference Final. And also, I'm going to shed a tear on Saturday because I can't believe that's the final MLS game we'll ever get to see at Matt, at Matt Frey Stadium, a.k.a. what was called Crew Stadium. 
Right, and you know, let's get to the hosts real quick. And look, I'm not here to dog on the hosts. They're the Eastern Conference champions, the Columbus Crew. They won 1-0 over the New England Revolution, who, again, was having probably the best season since their old runs back in the early aughts. It was just a, a great year for the New England Revolution, a great comeback year for them. But Columbus took the victory. It's only the third time in club history that Columbus will be heading to the final, and the first time since 2015, where they were they lost to Portland. Um, it was one of those games where it was a hard watch. Both teams really not trying to, you know, it was a chess match of sorts of the pressure coming from the pressure game from Columbus versus the counterattack speed that the revs play with and no one was looking to make a mistake, but the crew finally found their break through just before the 60th minute when Zellerin, uh, Zellerayan, uh, centered, sent in a cross for, to the far post and, and found allow and it, an Arthur was allowed to just finish off the, the goal. Was scores goal. Yeah. Sorry. You know, and he finally and he got the goal. That's all they needed. Sometimes this crew team, they're very good defensively, and they just need one goal, and they have the people who do it. We talked about GSC Cyrus earlier, USMT uh, striker. He is having a wonderful season, uh, proving everyone wrong, uh, who thought he should play more in the midfield. He's showing that he can be a number nine. And... I mean, Mario, you've been following the crew a little bit more than I have, but they have had a wonderful run since Caleb Porter has come and taken over that team. Yeah, they have. I think, and I think, I think this season the inclusion of Lucas Celarayan has been important. But also, Darlington Nagby plays on this team, and he he's a calming force in the midfield. And I think one person that a lot of people undermine because this team is very good defensively. And can be miserly at times. They they will not. They won't give you an inch. And that's Jonathan Mensa. He's been the pillar of that backfield, and they they can play very well off the back. And they also have not only do they have Zella Rayan, Jazzy Zardis, as you mentioned, who's having a really good year. Arthur has come on, has come into pretty solid, has had pretty solid moments. But Pedro Santos and Luis, again, I mentioned Luis Diaz last week. I think I'll mention this other player, Pedro Santos, off the wing. He can also do a lot of damage, and it shows. So he's been someone that has absolutely been an absolute pillar in this midfield. So not only can Columbus beat you playing well, they're also a team that need be and have to be stingy. They'll be stingy and get and ink out a result and by just simply picking their spots in the games and taking advantage of those spots that they create. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying we can't knock them out. You know, Even though we're both picking Seattle, as we mentioned earlier, they're a team you can't count out. They're a team that they just sneak up on you. They have the talent and the skills. And like I said, Caleb Porter is a coach. Back when he was with Akron and he was being rumored for the D.C. United job back in 2010, you know, he's a guy seen, seen by many as a possible U.S. men's national team head coach. He did well in Portland, and he's already so far, he said, he, you know, 
the only focus he has this year is and going forward with the crew is winning trophies. So going forward, he will be a, he's a fun coach to watch. He brought that same pressure game to Columbus that he had over in Portland in terms of possess, but when you have when you don't have possession, attack with <laughs> the speed of a thousand suns. I do love when Columbus is in attack, but they don't mind boring you to tears when they need to, because at the end of the day, they're looking to get the result. Um, sometimes it's flashy, sometimes it's not. And but at the end of the day, they look they're looking to get the result, as seen here with uh, Arthur scoring the game winner, and that was it. They didn't need to do anything else, and at any po- no point the rest is after the game after that goal did. New England looked threatening to tie the game. And that just goes to what Columbus is capable of doing. They will host this final, as you said, at McFree Stadium on Saturday. Honestly, it would be nice to see the crew win, you know, before departing and heading to their new stadium, their new digs next year. But um, I'm being honest. I, I think that Seattle has that feel of the early DC United's, the San Jose slash Houston era, the Galaxy era. It just, you you can't keep coming. There's a reason you continue coming back and winning these things. And it's because you know how to win these things and you've been experienced. And I can't help but look at Seattle and just the, the, the players on that team, the way they've been playing in the playoffs, they, they are set to win. They're set to win now, and they have the tools to do it. Sneaky, sneaky, quiet. Jordan Morris is having a great comeback season. He didn't come back for no injury, but he is sneakily having his best year as a pro. Watch for him in his performance on the wing. I could even imagine them drifting him centrally for this game just to attack a little bit that center back pairing. But he has done really well this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a goal or two in. I just see Seattle winning this. Yeah, I see Seattle winning this as well. I don't see any reason not. I think it'll be a hard-fought game. I don't think Columbus will make it easy for them. And if the final game at Map Free Stadium, all I ask for is don't let your scoreboard catch on fire. <laughs> yes, there's a, that's... Just Google it, ladies and gentlemen. The first soccer stadium, soccer-specific stadium, had its scoreboard on fire before a DC United game. Of course it was. Of but in any, <laughs> but of course it was. But that's enough for us today. So before we let you go, Mario, tell the people where they can find more about you. All right. If you want to follow, if you want to follow me by just reading my read my stories, or want to see me put up inspirational quotes such as "Live, laugh, love," or "There's no trash can, not there's only a trash can." Follow me on Twitter at Mario Mario One. If you want to check out El Tiempo Latino, you can check them out on Twitter as well at El Tiempo Latino. You can check out their stories online at eltiempolatino.com, or if you absolutely absolutely need a physical copy of this newspaper just walk to your local metro station they're right there sounds good as always you can follow me on twitter at jose underscore m underscore mana for more and you can always follow the sports pulse for more information and follow our podcast as well 
special shout out as always to Kevin McLeod and Impotech for the intro music. Remember, rate and subscribe as always on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Bad Hombres FC podcast. For, for me and Mario, thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to talk to you soon. Adios.